<laughs> I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes. Like a doll's eyes. I love this town! <laughs> Hello, city! Welcome to City of Geek Podcast number 20. Uh, 21. I always forget. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, thank you for listening. So we're going to have a little shorter than normal podcast. So if you saw that, it had 70 minutes rather than the normal blathering on for you know 15 days. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> we do have a shortened time period today. So we're going to be trying more a little bit on it. So it's almost like a panel at some conventions that you guys might know. Um, yes. So if you're listening for the first time, welcome. This is City of Geek, cityofgeek.com. You might be coming to us because we've been talking so much about 100 Days of Horror and see what else we're doing. But we should introduce ourselves for the for the newbies. My name is Bob. Tony. Ever classy. Kim. Tony. Right, so we do have all four of us here. Woo. Uh, and today we are talking about lesser known horror films, uh, maybe things that might slip past your radar. Uh, because it's that wonderful time of the year in 100 days leading up to Halloween. Uh, Kim, what do we do during this period? What do you do that we try to do? <laughs> <laughs> do you succeed? Except Kim. Uh, in the 100 days leading up to Halloween, I and those who try to join watch 100 more films we have never seen before. And uh, we are categorizing all of these on City of Geek. Yes. And there is a Facebook group called 100 Days of Horror. It's one of the other faces. Uh, as the photo. Yes. Uh, and you can also follow the journey on Twitter at Seattle Screams. Also, good shout out to Letterbox because yeah. they are great for making lists of all of these things. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I put the first like two days up and then I forgot them there. But yeah, at we do have an ongoing tally of what we're watching. Um, I'm including the tally of everyone on Facebook unless they tell me not to. So it's not just uh, me, Kim, Tony, and Cody. Uh, it's Everyone, such as Robin or Brian. Tony's or, still finishing. 2017, yeah. right? Oh, uh, yeah. 2016. No, 2017, dude. <laughs> Cut me some slack. So, so, so since we are. And it's only because I, I, I'm not going to do a number and a title. I'm going to give some sort of pithy analysis of it yeah. because I feel it's like. It's taking him so long, he's lost a year. <laughs> I, which I, I've been trying to do a video for everything. That way I get like. Some sort of more this is the title, uh, and gives myself the challenge of a following through. If I don't do something to keep myself active, I will lose it. I'm I'm actually really enjoying doing it. Um, I'm doing one thing on Letterbox, and it's largely the same as what I post in the Facebook group, but sometimes there are additional thoughts. Yeah. So, uh, so we thought this would be a good title, uh, a good topic for the podcast for this, because if you're seeking to fill in that hundred days outside of the things that we all know and love, uh. The, uh, this is like a, a good thought for this. If you want to, you know, give your thoughts, uh, you know, follow on on that Facebook group, uh, followcitygeek.com, uh, or on our Facebook of what we missed. Somebody follow me on Twitter. I've only got fourteen followers, <laughs> and my content is far better. Man, Tilly has more followers. Yeah. Oh bullshit. She uh, never even fucking tweets. And I don't know about you guys. But it's I'm hard not... to do it with those cat paws. It is. I, uh, I'm. Bob trying to keep yeah, because we don't. We we only we literally have you know seventy minutes in total, so we have sixty five left now. Um, we, need, we need the sound of a ticking clock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we. So the way I don't know about you guys, the way I approach this was like 
I was trying to avoid talking stuff from this year or maybe the last like two years besides a handful of things here um, because people were still discovering it this and that and I was approaching it from a level between like the average Joe knowing like the main guys and not knowing certain things and somewhere between that and Krypton because right. a lot of the stuff that on my list people from conventions be like oh yeah I saw that oh yeah like, um, I agree yeah but like, you you did the deep cut panel this year yeah. and there was shit I'm like even I was like so I so I'm approaching it somewhere like in between them like someone yeah. who doesn't seek out horror might see a couple of details oh yeah I heard that but it's not something like yeah something that as Cody said before I started recording about something that Tony might have saw that was shown in two theaters in 1973 before and the other five people saw it when insane yeah. caught their eyes out. <laughs> so the John Carpenter <laughs> movie uh, on uh, Masters of Horror. Yep, I've seen that. Um, Cigarette Burns. Cigarette Burns, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Cigarette Burns is a great way to start too because Masters of Horror was a TV show but it had some great people working on it. Uh -huh. They were really, really hit or miss. Cigarette Burns was the best one. Yes. Washingtonians, I loved the thing that George Washington was a cannibal. I've read the story but I haven't read this. Uh, I've seen the show. Well, so no, that, that was wasn't that one directed by Peter Medak, the director of The Changeling. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was. Um, so I, the idea for this is we're gonna just go around each naming a title, saying a couple things, and if someone wants to pop in and say some things too, but we're not getting full blown discussions because for each of these it could take us like you know an hour and a half. Uh, nothing against the way that the hundred uh, the best of last last year at Crypticon, we did spend like fifteen minutes talking about Mandy, and we really should have just like three and then moved on. For that. Um, anyway, so uh, I've been blathering on. Uh, Cody, do you want to start off with a title? So, yes, this is going to be a listicle yeah, um, episode, but. <laughs> I actually got in the mail from Amazon. It just came out on Blu ray. It's a Fulci movie from the oh. 80s. It's not, you know, it's not zombie or anything. more well known from New York River. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Kind of an American giallo type thing. Yes. Very, very nasty, gory. Just. It is. Yeah. It's. It, it, that's an interesting choice because it is. It was one of those films that I stumbled across, not realizing it was a Fulci film, and I was already into Fulci thanks to you know VHS having copies of City of the Living Dead, aka Gates of Hell, and Zombie, of course. So uh, when I saw. The New York Ripper. I was not actually. I I didn't pay attention to who was directing it. Amazingly, you know, for me, um, and I got about twenty minutes into it, and I really was questioning my sanity. <laughs> As you are in those bullshit movies. It's freaking berserk. I mean, I love that the killer's trademark is Donald Duck quacks. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. No lie. But then it's juxtaposed with that absurdity with some like really deeply disturbing violence. Oh, it is, It's not. It's not a very woman-friendly film, no. I would say. And, and I talked about this during the Giallo panel. Like that is a movie that you need to go in knowing that it does not like women. What like many Giallos? Like many Giallos, yeah. just in general. Also, I'd like to point it out. I watched it with my mom. No, <laughs> no. I'll have to borrow it. <laughs> I need to borrow oh my need to watch it. It was it was a weird experience, especially when. Uh, some of the sex was going on, and I prayed for the sweet release of death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! You know, one of the, this is so weird that you mentioned this movie because last uh, Thursday I was at the Shanghai Room in Greenwood DJing, and they have a huge stack of DVDs that they will play periodically when you're when you're you know um, spinning discs, and on the very top 
was the New York Ripper. No shit. And I said that there are, there are at least a dozen people in the place at that point in time besides those of us who were spinning. And I looked around and they looked like a pretty wholesome audience. And I thought, what would it be like to throw the New York Ripper up on that <laughs> screen while I spun? Old school soul. <laughs> disco hits. Um, I sadly will not know the answer to that. That's but, something I... I, but I, it's yeah, it, that's a fascinating movie. It's it's a really interesting part of Fulci's career too. Yeah. It's a part of the part of the just the last few. I think it was only like, I want to say five or six it's years before he died. Right? It's really close. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ladies, but yeah. Uh, my first one is actually one that I watched for Hundred Days of Horror a couple years ago called Splinter. Ooh, that's good. Uh, it's a two thousand eight movie, and uh, it's basically uh, this couple who is. Uh, on kind of a nature trip and they end up getting carjacked and kidnapped but then they get stuck at this gas station with these weird parasite things and it's uh as you do do. i it's got like a little bit of the thing kind of element to it in that respect that but the uh the parasite you get these splinters that start kind of growing from you and it's it's a really solid uh little film and and you know good effects and and just i when I watched it, I really enjoyed it. I, I really dug the, like the low budget thing vibe to it. Yeah, like it 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 was low budget, but they it's 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 low budget done right. It's how you want a low budget horror film to be like, and it was it was fun. It was interesting. It kept my attention. It's not reinventing the wheel, but it's a it's a really good watch. Uh, any other thoughts on that before we move on to this? Well, I just I have a lot of respect for really well brought. B movies, and it sounds like that's what this is. So, I, and I'm looking. It, it's like on my queue. I'm looking forward to seeing it on Netflix. Tony. Uh, so the first one I'm going to start out with is again, you know, relative to the whole Crypticon uh, deep dive thing. Uh, one that I love to recommend to people that isn't necessarily quite as well known as most of the rest of the Italian horror canon is uh, Cemetery Man from oh, 1990. Yeah. I, I really seriously think that it's a masterpiece. Uh, it is easily one of the ten best, probably five best horror films in the 90s. Not that that's but too hard. It's one of those movies that just totally, um, totally hit me, uh, kind of broadsided me with how artistic it was. It's one of the very few Italian horror movies that I've seen where you actually savor the dialogue and the script. It helps that you have Rupert Everett as the lead, so you have him speaking these lines in that mellifluous English voice of his. Um, but the the movie strikes this wonderful, crazy quilt tone somewhere between George Romero, Tim Burton, Lucio Fulci, and of all people, Orson Frickin' Wells. I just think it's I think it's brilliant and strange and beautiful. And if you have not seen it and you are a fan of the visually rich. Uh, highlights of Italian horror cinema, a la Mario Bava, Dario Argento. Please seek it out. It's phenomenal. I really like the um, the way it was. It, there's a lot more going on than it seems like on the surface, and you watch it, you realize there's more of this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, of what's exactly happening? And yeah, yeah. I'm not. I usually don't bring up the books to people, but that woman, one of the prettiest women I've ever seen. And about you, yes. <laughs> well, and the I, thing I, is, I try not to like, objectify her in that way. But well, the thing is, striking. you can. Well, the thing is, you heard. she doesn't you, listen to podcasts. The thing is, though, you can objectify both ways because Rupert Everett, honestly, is a beautiful man, <laughs> and he is 
mostly naked. She is mostly naked. There's really, it's kind of a win-win situation. We ourselves are mostly naked. <laughs> naked. Cemetery Moon or De La Morte Del Mare? Uh, every time we say the movie, that we have to take off an order. Oh, right before we down. Hey, it's a Sunday. We can't. Um, it was a Friday. We'd all be doing it. I'm gonna. Sunday. I'm gonna move into. I feel like <laughs> you're supposed to. Isn't that that's one? That's how. <laughs> That's how the Catholics do it. And okay, your, yeah. uh, your choice, Paul. Yeah, I'm going to sign something that is also an English language uh, feature from a European director. Uh, in this case, the director actually has a new movie coming out in a few weeks that we're really excited for. But uh, this something did take a hit in the, not hit, but sub in the horror community, may not have crossed over, it was um, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Oh, from, my gosh. Um, that was on my Name list. I can't quite pronounce. Uh, I can't. We made Scary Stories Tell in the Dark and Troll Hunter. Uh, but this is uh, Mule Hirsch uh, and Brian, Brian Cox. Cox. And their their uh, their work is mortuary in a mortuary, and they get a body come in with some weird markings on it, and as they start to do the autopsy, it gets even more fucked up, weirder. Because there's something possessed about the body, something that's not quite right. As they try and figure out what's going on, and just simply try and survive, more layers get done out. Maybe there's some issues I think in the second act where there's a little bit of a chase thing, and then it kind of brings itself back down. But it's also it's like two people, well three people in the body. In a room with a small budget, and it's a bottle movie, and it's so yeah. Yeah. Like so great. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I am a huge, huge fan, and actually, that was one of my considerations on the list. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's incredibly well acted. Um, again, it's a great, solid B movie because you get all of the things that you want out of a really good piece of pulp entertainment. The characters <laughs> feel actually very richly developed. Uh, there's a lot of suspense. It's an interesting premise. And I and I love how the director, Ofdal, Andre yeah, Ofdal, um, kind of unpeels layers as you go. I mean, you, the, the, the shit literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the shtick is set up very early on. And I'm, a, I'm not going to mention what it is because part of the fun is watching the movie and going with it. Um, but as it progresses, um, the aspects of this high concept premise are kind of unpeeled like layers of an onion and I think it works really well. It's just it's a terrific movie. I'm a big fan. Uh Cody. I'm gonna go with a oh my god, the hippies are gonna kill us all. Panic movie from the seventies. I drink your blood. Yes. yes. I love that movie. I love that movie. Bought it on Prime Day two <laughs> years ago. Got the Blu-ray it is the most absurd, one of the most absurd movies you'll ever see. It involves uh, a kid infecting meat pies with rabies. With rabies meat, or with rabies meat, with rabies, rabies blood. Meat. Rabies meat. Rabbit dog's blood, yes. Rabbit dog's blood. Oh, yeller! <laughs> and it turns a whole group of the hippie traveling Satanists into bloodthirsty killers with a variety of. Uh, weirdness to it how they spread the disease it's 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 an interesting film my one of my favorite parts of the movie is they are taking turns deciding who is satan and the black guy takes over and he goes all right i am the son of satan that means satan is a black man ah! <laughs> and i thought that was I, fucking hilarious yeah this is like one of my this is like one of those movies that is so kind of grubby and disreputable <laughs> that you almost feel ashamed to admit that you that, that you are entertained by it. I own I own the DVD and I was very fortunate to have 
this is more humble bragging Tony bullshit, but um, I was I was fortunate enough to interview Lynn Lowry, who plays oh, the new hippie girl in the movie, um, and uh, so my my DVD copy is autographed by her, and she um, she had talked about how basically she had to uh, kind of contractually she could not do any dialogue because she was going uncredited, but she wanted to do the movie, um, and. Um, she is a, a very like conventional and, and you know non-horror oriented person. So it's very interesting hearing her take on doing this very exploitive movie. She's been in a decent amount of horror films, like you know Shivers and yeah, she's, uh, Crazies, Fat mm-hmm. People. Yeah, and she's and she's terrific. Oh. And I mean, I, I I think she's very affecting in the movie. I that the movie is ridiculous and yet also deeply disturbing. It's like it straddles that interesting line. There are a lot of '70s movies that are like that, where there are absurd aspects of it that are dated as fuck. But then there's also um, a sense of kind of grubby immediacy to it. It's like it, it really is genuinely unsettling. Oh yeah, especially when you get later into the movie and they get more and more like fucked up by the rabies. Yeah, it's it's a really yeah. It just feels like it's it's like it's like this dime store. Viscerous soaked version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I'm going to shift gears and go to the happiness of the Catacurus. Yes. yes! Dude, yes! Um, I adore this movie. I have a five episode title of it. Yes! In what world can you get a movie where there is uh, zombies, where there is claymation? Where there is singing, uh, it's like if the sound of music and uh, Night of Living Dead had a child or something. It's, yeah. it's 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 such an utterly bizarre and delightful horror zombie musical. Yeah, it's uh, make it with Bollywood stuff with yeah. great yes. like throwaway Bollywood. Numbers. Like look for that name for anything that's like underneath the radar that that horror fans love. It's it, true. Anything it's, that he does is gonna be just. Weird and fun, the Yeah, director Takashi Maike is as ferociously prolific as Roger Corman, and yet I would actually argue that he's maybe a little bit more accomplished artistically, dare I say, because he's made like... No, like between that and Audition. Audition, Jesus. Yeah, he's an amazing filmmaker, and the fact that he's done so many good movies on like a dime with like a shameful, you know, shooting schedule. Yeah, they put it like three years and they don't feel like cookie cutter movies. He makes just these utterly audacious choices yes. that work. And they shouldn't work. And that's part of why I, I, it's just so much fun. Uh, it's if, if the thought of subtitles scares you, don't let it. It, it is worth your time. And the visuals are so awesome is... and weird and crazy and fun. It does. It channels Sound of Music one minute, it channels um, Bollywood the next mm-hmm. minute, and then it channels frickin' Blood Feast the next minute mm-hmm. after yeah. that. It like literally goes back and forth like that, and it's just a, that, that's a great call. That's like a brilliant piece of work. I love that movie. As Tony drinks, I'm going to ask him the name the title is. <laughs> um, the next title I am going to mention is, I, I, I kind of went deep dive on this and I went back to the 70s. So and we can uh, always do that too. So. There we go. <laughs> Um, one of the, somebody that I've consistently given a shout out to when it comes to like lesser known horror films, uh, that I think are really worthwhile is a British director named Pete Walker. 
Uh, Pete Walker did a lot of exploitation and horror movies in the 70s, and he made them on super low budgets, but all of them are imbued with a sense of social commentary to kind of go with the visceral nature of them. They're super low budget, so oftentimes they're filmed in English suburbs, um, and they look it in a really good way. Um, you are getting an interesting sense of regional flavor that you would not get from a typical mainstream movie where you'd be seeing the Tower of London and, you know, uh, Trafalgar Square and all these, like, you know, well-known areas. You're seeing, like, suburbs. You're seeing, like, grotty little alleyways in Pete Walker's films. Uh, but his best, one of my favorite uh, horror movies of the 70s, is a movie called Frightmare. Yeah, I have that, but I haven't watched it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think... About dinners and gentlemen's Yeah, I, I think it is one of the... I mean, it, it cements Pete Walker as one of the great social commentators via horror cinema um, that we had in the 70s, although he wasn't as lauded as other figures like David Cronenberg and things like that, and people like that. Um, Frightmare is basically a a somber domestic drama about a young woman whose parents happen to be cannibals. Mm. And yeah, as, as will happen. But the, the thing that makes the movie distinctive is that, first of all, it's played on a very subtle clip. I mean, it plays like a, a, a familial drama that happens to have characters that eat human flesh. It's really super well acted. It makes very good use of its mundane surroundings because it really literally feels like, I mean, you know, the accents aside, it feels like a low rent area of town in any town in the world, honestly. And uh, yeah, Walker just really orchestrates it brilliantly, and there's all sorts of great bits of commentary in it. I mean, um, there's a real commentary on kind of the proprietary meekness and passivity of the, the British male. Uh, it, it comments a lot about how under, uh, how kind of under wraps emotion and uh, expression are in British culture. And it also speaks to the inevitability of never being able to change who you are in the context of the people around you. It's, it, that's some that's a profound and heady play, places for a horror movie to go. And this movie kind of goes there, but in a very unpretentious B-movie way. You know, it's funny, I'll say that, because I, I just on my list to watch it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I was literally just about to watch it the other night, I decided to go with Hatchet instead. Mm -hmm. I'm like, so, that's... I'm really curious to see yeah, your I'll guys' see take. I, I, I think it's an overlooked gem. That's what the whole podcast is about. Um, looking through my list, actually, because we were talking about it a little bit earlier, so I realize a good chunk of my list is like single or two locations with only a handful of people. Um, so I'm gonna, so actually, most of what I mentioned is gonna be that, and I'm really, I think the next one I'm gonna mention, uh, since we're talking about Hatchet and Adam Green, I'm going to mention uh, his Frozen, not the Let It Go Disney one. That's on my list. <laughs> but yeah. three people yeah. on a on a snow lift overnight because they they pay an operator to sneak him up the hill so every every other uh time i've gone skiing you know there's the resorts like at the bottom where some people are down but in this case whatever reason they're heading up the hill and everything is turned off so you get three 20 somethings about 35 feet in the air on a ski lift and they can definitely you know, survive the night because the storm is coming in uh -huh. and it's about how they try and survive as they try to figure out what's going on so you have like 
you have like one location of them before they get there, and then the rest of the movie is them on a ski lift trying to figure out what the hell to do. Uh, and it's it's well done with with decent yeah decent care. You're spending the entire time with three people, but the the what they go through is just harrowing. In that That's case. a really good compliment to Emma Bell, yeah. who I really think is underappreciated. Uh, she was did really well in the Walking Dead with yeah. some minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in the one of the final estimations. I thought yeah. was really good. Uh, I think Kevin Zeiger is in that too. <laughs> he was in uh, I kind of crap. I remember he was in Gossip Girl. I was watching that. Hey, everyone's in Gossip Girl. <laughs> It's one that I just thought my precious time, you're taking away from yeah, me. Precious does. film analysis. Don't mind me, I'm just getting my eyes squatting. It's one that I I remember when I watched it and I it takes so much to unsettle me. And that movie unsettled me. Um like genuinely unsettled. For me, I think it is based on the fact that that shit actually happened to you. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. That's yeah. that's the kind of movie that tends to get to me, or ones where I'm like, this could happen. And I'm already, I already don't like the snow. <laughs> I hate it when it snows. Right. I'm mad that in, uh, you know, when it fucking snows and it fucks with my whole time. Like I can't imagine being trapped by it. Right. Uh, Cody. I'm gonna go again. 60s, 70s, Yolo, uh, Cat of Nine Tails. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's one of Argento's lesser known Yolos. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of his better. I think it's uh, one of his less respected, too, so this yes. is a good call. Carl Malden is so fucking good in that movie. Oh, totally. And it's just such an underappreciated. I really think it's one of the best Yolo performances. They're the one with the grandfather and the grandkid, or the other one? They never actually say if it's grandfather or Kid. But you know, he's, I mean, he's yeah. taking care of the, the little girl each one. I was very sure right. the right one because titles really never really, <laughs> really deal with the actual movie. Oh yeah, in the, <laughs> so, in the Italian giallo, no, it never does. And that's a very good point because I think that one of the things that distinguishes that movie is, aside from Phenomena, which I know you and I are huge fans of. Yes, I any movie with a straight razor wielding chimp as the hero. Instantly is at the top of my list of wonderful films. Uh, but one of the things, one of the things that I think really distinguishes uh, Cat of Nine Tales is that it's got, aside from Phenomena, which has a wonderful kind of father-daughter dynamic between Donald Pleasance and uh, Jessica Connelly, this has a really great um, central couple of performances from Carl Malden and James. Franciscus, and also the interaction with the little girl. There, the movie actually has, by Argento standards, a huge amount of heart, and it's a very effective thriller. Great call, man. Tim. Uh, so mine's a, it, it was one I kind of debated whether or not to, to share because it's it's. Uh, this is a safe place too. Safe place. I can share this. <laughs> well, no, it's it's part of a franchise that's very well known, but it's uh, I'm actually amazed. Out of outside of horror circles, how many people don't realize that there are not just one but three additional movies, and that's Psycho Two. Yes, yes, I like it, it is, better in the first. It's it <laughs> is a a really good film, and and as Bob said, um, there are aspects. I think I think in terms of uh, I think the Psycho Two story has held up better as a mm. film than the original only 
in the sense that um, when Hitchcock made the original, I mean, it's similar with the birds in that even though he was breaking all these these barriers, he was doing things that never been done before to a modern audience. A lot of the special effects have not held up in a yeah. way that is effective. Uh, outside of, I'd say, still the shower scene, I think is still extremely effective. But uh, Psycho 2 has just some really wonderful elements. You still, mm-hmm. you have Anthony Perkins. Who is brilliant in the movie. And I love, I love how much empathy is generated um, by the script and by the direction yes. and by his acting with that character. I mean, Norman, I you love and feel for Norman in, the, in this you movie. You do. In, in a way that that you you didn't maybe know you could. Um, <laughs> and, and on top of that, honestly, I very much enjoy all of the singles. Mm. Uh, I think part three, three is, is but fun. Four is fun. And four, which was also, I believe, a TV movie. Yes, uh, one of McGarris' first directions. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's actually a really solid film. But that being said, Psycho 2 is by far my favorite yeah. of the sequels. And it's one that I think uh, more people should watch and not just discount it as a movie that... Because it's that's not a re- it's a, yeah, yeah, it's not a repeat of the first. It's uh, really not. Why I really enjoy it. Uh, I, the first one is a masterclass. Of course. Of course. Uh, as much as I said, I'd like this one more. Uh, because I think because it takes that idea and it really does build on it. It's not a sequel that repeats as the same yeah. thing. It's a sequel that truly takes the first movie makes you think about that and yeah. uses its thing to create a another story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those who aren't aware, without getting spoilers too much, uh, it takes place 20 years later. Uh, and it, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, I mean, Hitchcock had only shortly passed. Yeah. It, so I know, he died in what, 1980? And it yeah, like it was, it was, it was like 1982. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he, uh, Andy Perkins gets out, or Norman gets out. Released He's released. Hospital, Other yeah. people are saying that he shouldn't be out. He's not sure himself and he goes home and starts stuff starts happening so he's questioning his own sanity mm-hmm. and we're questioning it for him as well because it's not nothing straightforward right. uh so we're right there on board with him that's uh, yeah it's a, it's a really empathetic performance that really or sympathetic performance yeah. i can't say i feel people in the shower um, <laughs> but it's, it's i feel like it's a really it, it's very telling what a talented actor he was that he makes you feel for him in a way that, uh, I mean, I have sympathy for Norman Bates in a way that, I mean, I don't have. There's something, for... yeah, there's something very innocent and childlike yes. about his about and his presence in the movie. Too. Exactly. It's very horrible. And it comes from, I mean, you know, let's face facts. He came from a fucking broken home. His yeah. mom was a nut job. Yeah. So that's, you know, and he didn't have a father figure. So, oh my God, we're like generating so much empathy for Norman Bates. And the movie does a beautiful job of capitalizing on this. He's, you know, you're. Well, I, I don't want to spoil yeah. it. So anyway, let's um, move on. <laughs> let's move on from Psycho Two. All right. Um, I wanted to shine a spotlight on one of my favorite presences in horror cinema that is impossibly obscure to most horror fans today. His name is Paul Nashi. Yes. Um, Paul Nashi is basically was the Spanish launching junior. And in 1968, he made um, a probably what was the first. Spanish horror movie, um, which was a film called the uh, Valpurgis Night, or as it's known here in America, Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. There is no Frankenstein anywhere in the movie. It's a werewolf and he's fighting vampires. Um, but Nashi's movies are an interesting transition point between kind of the more quaint universal gothics 
and the kind of more visceral horror of the 70s because it, he would have a lot of the familiar gothic tropes but then they would be labeled with a fair amount of violence and a fair amount of sex um he did a huge amount of movies he probably played a werewolf more than Most, any yeah. other actor <laughs> in history he's done like he did like eight or nine movies playing the polish werewolf valdemar Daninsky. Uh, but I wanted to spotlight one of my favorite films of his, um, which is a film called uh, The People Who Own the Dark. Um, it is a, uh, it's sort of a cross between Invasion of Body Snatchers and Day of the Triffids. Um, in it, a meteorite falls, and it, what it does is those who are exposed directly to it are blinded immediately. Um, and we follow a group of wealthy people who are in a house at the time that the meteor falls so none of them have been blinded um but what it tends to do is it not only does it blind the people who have viewed the meteorite coming down it also that blindness whether it's directly due to something with the meteorite or just the mental effects of having no sight um it, it kind of turns them all into very unbalanced maniacs. <laughs> uh, and so it becomes a siege film to a great extent. Nashi only has a supporting role in it, um, but it's genuinely suspenseful. And it's also one of those movies, it's one of those great 70s movies that has this kind of ambiguous juxtaposition of, of sympathizing and demonizing the antagonist, which in this case are blind people. And uh, yeah, what blind people? <laughs> <laughs> but it's really but it, but it is again you you get a sense of empathy for these people who've lost their sight but the movie is atmospherically directed enough to where it feels like there is a legitimate um that there's a legitimate reason for the mental regression of these people who have been blinded by this meteorite uh there's a lot of a lot of kind of class commentary in there because of course all of these people who have escaped the blindness are wealthy people and when they try to go to the surface they they have no frame of reference to be able to maneuver around quote the common people unquote so there, you get some social commentary in there there's genuine suspense it's a really super underrated movie, 1975, called The People Who Own the Dark. Uh, I would highly recommend it for fans of nihilistic 70 cinema. Thank you for it. I'm going to go, I'm going to keep on turning to the 70s and 60s interstate, and um, I'm, yeah, I'm going to do a quick pair uh, <laughs> uh, of Hammer films. Everyone knows the big yeah. things are Hammer, but I do want to mention two vampire movies that don't create quite a lot of the other ones yet. Um, or Rise of Dracula, which actually doesn't yes. feature Dracula at all. That's one of my favorite vampire movies of all time. And Captain Chronos Vampire Hunter. Dude. It was supposed to be the first of a series that never happened. But both I'm these so take, sad it didn't. Uh, both of these take the vampire tropes and they turn them on their head to enough degree that there's something different with them. Honestly, uh, Hammer's usually pretty good at with each of the vampire movies just yeah. doing something different. But in these cases, these are two standouts that get overshadowed by Christopher Lee vampire. I couldn't agree more, and I think the only reason that Brides of Dracula does not stand taller in kind of the hammer canon in terms of reception is the fact that it doesn't have Christopher Lee in it. That's literally the only liability 
in the movie. It is lushly shot. It is paced like a bullet. Oh, wait. I mean, it, it, moves. it moves so fast. I mean, people who watch this movie are going to be surprised at how quickly, uh, at just incredible sense of pacing. I mean, Terrence Fisher directed almost all of the Hammer movies, and this is like one of the ones where he really got a chance to shine and really got a chance to, um, to kind of display his gift for kind of high-velocity rhythm. And Peter Cushing's brilliant in it. He is yeah, unimpeachably great. great in it. Yeah, the that's other, a great choice. The other thing I'm going to say about Captain Charles before I throw this back to Tony, uh, to Cody, is that uh, I... Tony. Yeah, Tony. It's the same person. We are collective. Uh, with Captain Cronus, of course, it's, you know, trying to set up a, a series which made it interesting, but I also like the way the vampires, in this case, doesn't steal blood, but still age, which creates some mm-hmm. pretty cool effects yeah. and different changes of the way things are to get reactions to what happens to people when they get affected by the vampire. Yeah. It isn't the same way as the, oh, they're dead, and now they're back, Lucy. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and there's all sorts of neat little wrinkles, too. I mean, I yeah, love that because we're seeing a, uh, a vampire hunter, we're seeing how he sleuths out vampires, and there's one great moment where he places a dead toad on the ground <laughs> in front of a coach to gauge the vampiricness of the occupants of the coach. And it's really, uh, there's just a lot of neat things happening. Plus, honestly, it also stars Caroline Monroe, who is like literally one of the most luminously beautiful women to ever appear in a genre film. Um, and uh, and it's like one of her earliest roles, uh, like she did right after Dracula, 1972. Yeah, th- that's a really good call. Not a lot of people know about Kronos. It flopped on arrival. Cody. <laughs> uh, I am going to give a shout out to one of my favorite Italian directors. Um, he made a bunch of movies in the 80s and just kind of disappeared. Uh, it's Mario Baba's Child, Lumberto Baba. Yeah. Um, the ones that are most known are the Demons movies, yeah. but he did a really, really good Giallo back in 1982 called The Blade in the Dark. Julia. And I really, really love that. It has one of my favorite Giallo openings where um, two kids are throwing a ball around and they throw it into the dark and it gets thrown back towards them and it's got blood and it <laughs> just smacks on a wall. It's just, just a really. I can picture that, knowing Giallos. I can picture that right now. Yeah, it's, it's really well done. It really. It, it was almost like a. One of those, one of those really just per, almost perfect giallos that just nails everything about the giallo. It's really, really good. Um, and also, really, I, I thought Lamberto Lava in general has some really good body of work. I was gonna say demons, but then I realized until Bob Briggs has done it, it's it's too mainstream. Yeah. Uh, well, I the demons movies are brilliant. I think I think that the first demons movie is just the most wonderfully batshit piece of pulp horror cinema that you will ever get. I took a horror civilian to see that, <laughs> and spoiler alert: towards the end, when the helicopter comes through the ceiling of the fucking theater yes. in the most completely random display of fucking you know equipment slash you know helicopter porn you could ever see, the person that I was with who had never seen who was not much of a horror person. Their jaw literally dropped. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I also think, I just think he's, I mean, well, think about it. He was his father's assistant director, and he was he was Dario Argento's assistant director right. for years. So this guy obviously was uh, was influenced by him learning, you know, on the job from the best. I haven't seen this one yet, but I really look forward to it. Uh, I'm going to give a Spanish-language film called The Last Days. Uh, which I watched as part of Hunger Days of Horror a couple years ago, and I really enjoyed it. It was uh, about an epidemic 
that made it so that people could not step outside. No, it hurt us for you. Oh, oh really? Yeah. 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 And you're going to like people who own the dark as a nice companion piece. <laughs> Spiritually, it's not, it's sounding pretty similar. Um, and it's, it's mostly, uh, what's the, the, the Spanish. I do get a quiet thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't try to pronounce it because I have to correct it. Los Altimos Deus. Yes, there we go. I, I, I need to be right now. <laughs> uh, and it's mostly about the man who's trying to find his girlfriend basically but they're they're trying to get around uh without ever going outside huh. and it's it, it, lava. It, 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 sort of yeah and it, it's i think it's a slow burn it's not one that like if you're looking for for a movie that's just like action 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 this is not the movie for you but it was i loved the concept i thought it was uh, really unique and and interesting and uh yeah i really enjoyed it as a film and it was. It's one that I. I'm actually surprised. I think at the time I heard some people talking about it, which is part of how it came across my radar. But it's not one that I've really heard talked about since then. I. I have to be honest. I'm relatively unfamiliar with the title, so yeah. I, I feel like I learned a little bit. I'm on there. It's on my list now. I'm interested. Well, um, actually, interesting. Interestingly enough, sorry, the rosé is starting to get to me. Um, I wanted to. Uh, Again, shine a spotlight on a giallo that I think is not super well known, but I think it is very, very much. It, it's like it became one of my favorites when I saw it about a year ago for the hundred days of horror, which are not consecutive <laughs> days of horror. <laughs> just <laughs> emphasizing so that. Um, thank you. Uh, the movie is called The Perfume of the Lady in Black. Mm -hmm. It's a 1974 giallo. Um, the director is somebody that I'm not super familiar with. His name is Francesco Barilli. And uh, the basic shtick of this film is it follows a, uh, an industrial scientist played by Mimsy Farmer, who is a, an American Mimsy. actress <laughs> who did a lot of genre cinema in the 70s, including a couple of other gialli. Um, and she's troubled by these really weird hallucinations that seem to be related to the suicide of her father, uh, and some sort of traumatic, violent event that she doesn't quite have, that, that she gradually puts together as the movie progresses. Um, this is one of those movies that I have to be completely fucking frank. After I saw it the first time, I did not have a night, any fucking idea of what it was about. Because it is so, and, and that was not a slag on my attention span or a slag on the film, it is because it is so very abstract that it took a, another viewing to kind of have it cohere in my head um that said it's a beautiful journey it's gorgeously shot it begins with one of the most elegant tracking shots i have ever seen in a genre movie um and it also has one of the great what the fuck endings in one of the most what the fuck subgenres of horror which is the gl you know You've always got to have the what-the-fuck moment in a giallo. Oh, yeah. The ending of this movie is the most what-the-fuck giallo ending of a giallo that I've ever seen. It's And it's phenomenal. I think it's great. It's, it's out on DVD. Um, I think that it just recently got put out on Blu-ray by somebody. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's terrific. I It's well worth seeking out. I'm going to... This one goes out to Jennifer Lovely, who will be our guest next time, we hope. Her and I saw. Uh, those who remember the last time, we were attend uh, attending on having her and Raya for her, her um, 
a co-worker, but co-host, uh, don't read the Latin on to the folk horror. Uh, didn't work out for scheduling this time, we're trying to get on next. Uh, it'll be soon, uh, so it gives you more time to watch Midsommar if you haven't yet. Um, so well, I'm going to bring up one of her favorite movies that she mentions a lot on her podcasts, uh, so I check out Because of Her, and that's Let Us Pray from Brian O'Malley, who oh, made, um, made, made Lodgers last year. Yes. Uh, and it has Liam Cunningham, who's from, you know, Sir Davos from Game of Thrones. Uh, and he plays a, uh, in a, sort of in a, in a last shift style way, he plays a, um, it's a remote police station where a woman's working by herself, and then they arrest and bring in this guy, and he starts to affect everyone, he kind of knows his secrets, kind of fucks everyone's heads, um, and things get strange and weird and bloody, and I don't want to spoil anything, but it doesn't go where you think it's going to go, and it gets incredibly weird, and I love that. <laughs> uh, but Liam Cunningham is amazing. Uh, Pollyanna McIntosh is the, is the main girl, is, is fantastic too. Uh, but also, check out Last Ship. I'm not going to talk about it too much. That's on show. I, oh, that, yeah. I do like Actually, that. Last Ship was on my list. Oh, okay. sorry. I didn't mean to get, get ahead of you. <laughs> no, no, no. That's totally... But it's I fine. Just, I, I link them together. So yeah, I mean, I, I, which I think is a terrific movie. And again, getting back to one of the things that I love is discovering an unpretentious B-horror movie that just does everything right. And Last Shift is one of those movies. So I'm glad that you kind of tangentially referenced it. Right, uh, Cody. All right, I'm going to give a shout out to a, another Italian director. And he is not one of the chippity top that gets mentioned, you know, in your Argentos and your Fultis. Uh, Umberto Lenzi. Uh, he passed a few years ago, and I had the pleasure of owning a copy of this movie. It is one of my favorite zombie rampage films ever, and it is Nightmare <coughs> City. Oh, yes. I've heard oh, of that. I haven't yes. seen it. Dude. Yes. Fucking love Nightmare Dude, City. Dude, it's the sleazy Italian horror version of Groundhog Day. <laughs> it really is. It's, Motherfucker, I love that movie. It is so much goddamn fun. From beginning to end, it, I mean, it has it has just an assload of weird zombie shit going on. And sometimes the zombies can talk. Sometimes they can't. <laughs> and there's one point where the zombies crash a um, aerobics. Uh, like they do. Dude, yes. Aerobics <laughs> and fucking gut munching zombie massacre in the same movie. That is that is that fucking insane. genius. Oh, do they do jazzercise? Yes. They are jazzercise yes. and there's a zombie attack. Yep. And it's all happening That's at the same damn time. I need to live this movie. It's it's fucking fantastic. It's so awesome. And they've been trying to remake it for a number of years with Tom Savini. And I'm like it's one of those movies where I'm like, okay, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna let Savini do it, I have faith in it. If you don't, leave it the fuck alone. You can buy it for two dollars on Amazon to watch. Yeah. I yeah. want yeah. to <laughs> to stream. Uh, I just looked up and say, oh, it's open to shutter. That's not. Um, Kim. Uh, this is a a personal favorite of mine. It is uh, the first horror film I have a memory of watching, and that is the movie. Squirm. Yeah. Yeah, Squirm. Yes. I own the novelization of that movie. No. There's a novelization? Found at half price books, four dollars. No. That's a great choice. I love that movie. Fucking love Squirm. I have two words for people at home who don't know anything about this movie. Killer Worms. And there's a Mystery Science episode of it. It's, it's, it's. But I think it's much more enjoyable than. Honestly, I think it's. it I think it is. does what it does much better than 
your typical mystery science yeah. theater movie. I mean, it's it is it's silly. It's about killer worms, but it has some genuinely wonderful shots in it. Some really creepy moments. I'm just gonna yeah. say it has a whole different kind of shower scene. <laughs> oh yeah. That is is again. It's kind of off putting. Uh, and and maybe all practical a too. All, all practical. practical. And it's 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 got a nice sense of humor to it. Uh, it's a really great movie, and it's it's uh, see it's one of those ones. I remember I, I wrote a review for it for Belladonna. Uh, I think for one of our first issues, and I had two reviews or I had two ratings. There was like the rating it should probably get and the rating I give it because I love it so much. Yeah. And it's it's one that I can never not love this movie. I own it on Blu-ray. I I think it's something that every horror fan or anyone who just likes weird silly movies should watch this. Hey, movie. Nature Run Amok movies. It's one of the most entertaining. Yes. And, uh, the Blu-ray is from Shout Factory or Screen yes. Factory. Uh, it's always just. You know, outside of what we're talking about here, a good way to find out something that you need to watch, just look for Shout and Scream on the side of it. And yeah. Just go to their website and like, ooh, that should be fun. That should be cool. That should be cool. <laughs> That's how I found so many movies. I just buy whatever has they put out. I'm like, yes. And now I watch like, yeah. Yes, and. <laughs> uh, Tony? Uh, well, um, kind of semi on the Giallo tip, and also mostly on the tip of something that I think has been recently rediscovered. Um, one of my favorite recent discoveries from Vinegar Syndrome, which is one of the yes. best kind of indie video labels that specializes in cult and exploitation movies, is a movie called The Corruption of Chris Miller. Um, it's a 1973 Spanish thriller that is definitely carved from the Giala cloth. Um, it stars Gene Seberg uh, and also an English actor named Barry Stokes, uh, who was in a lot of horror films that were directed by a gentleman named Norman J. Warren. Um, but The Corruption of Chris Miller is a wonderful kind of alloy of giallo and Hitchcockian thriller and with a, a little pinch of British kitchen sink drama mixed in. And it was directed by Antonio Bardem's uncle, um, which makes it fascinating. But um, Vinegar Syndrome has a terrific Blu-ray out of this movie. Um, it's just, it's, it's one of those Gialli, it's one of the few Gialli that feels very strong character-wise. I mean, you, you, you feel like all of the people in the film are pretty fully fleshed characters by Gialli standards. Um, it also has a lot of surprises. It's got one of the best cold openings that you'll see in a Gialli ever. Um, when you deal, well, I, I don't even want to, I almost don't want to say anything about the cold opening, except uh, I'll, I'll give you three words. Um, Charlie Chaplin Killer. Ah. Um, it, it's really good. And the, they already did that. His name was Adolf Hitler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but not this way. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just, it's a very underrated movie. I did not, and I'm like hardcore GL nerd, as, as most, most of you guys know. What? Yeah, I tell you. I did not know of this film. I had no idea it existed, and I picked it up on impulse at the Vinegar Syndrome table last May at Crypticon, and I, I've watched it like four times. Sure. I think it's terrific, and it's well worth seeking out. Uh, the next thing I'm going to bring up 
uh, is actually one that I feel bad it wasn't on my list and just, and just clicked and like, yes, I need to mention this. Uh, it's from 1981 uh, from Gary Sherman. It's Dead and Buried. Yes. Uh, a movie that I had bought from Blue Underground just because they put it out. <laughs> and um, and I was like, and I watched it and like, this is amazing. And maybe watched it again. Uh, if you want to see a creepy version of uh, Grandpa Joe from... Uh, <laughs> Chocolate Factory. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Uh, and he also he also directed this. Uh, director also directed One a Dead or Alive. People tell me that right now because Rucker Howard passing. Uh, but mm. Dead and Buried uh, is like a seaside mystery. A seaside town with a mystery as a new sheriff to figure out what's going on. The dead are coming back. The dead are coming back weird. Uh, and things like that where it's really surprising, has some amazing special effects. Uh, is it Savini who did the effects for that? Actually, I want to say it was no, no, it's Tom me. Berman, I think. Uh, but there's this great... Uh, or was it Stan Winston? Maybe yeah, it was already Stan Winston, I think. I think about it. Um, I keep wanting to say yeah, Berman, but who knows. Anyway, uh, but there's this great sequence of a coroner like, working on somebody and like peels away the face and rebuilds it. And it's, oh, I love that. Um, but it's a, it's amazing. It's on streaming on Shutter. I won't spoil it anymore. But you should go to Shutter and like watch it. Like that's a it now. is a that that's a great choice. I love that movie. Um, there are elements of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Carnival of Souls in it. I think mm -hmm. it's got that kind of sense of dread to it. It's really well acted. This um, is also one of my lists to watch. It's so and I actually speak speaking of which I have the Blue Underground two disc set myself. Great call. I love this movie. Uh, Stan Winston was the mix of that stuff. Ah. So, yeah. Uh, I can't get through this without mentioning Bruce McKay. <laughs> One of the most prolific Italian filmmakers in that that motherfucker was not afraid to rip no, anything off, steal anything. And everything. So I decided, why not go with one of his more original efforts? It is the nature run amok movie, Nuclear Holocaust, <laughs> Rats, Niger yep. Terror. Yes! I love this fucking movie. It is one of my favorites. You get you get like a, a, a post-apocalyptic gang. You get evil, like, flesh-eating rats. You get just an absurd, an absurd amount of, like, the, you know, there's a villain-type character and that motherfucker is playing it like he is just peak, like, scumbag, you know. It is, it is just a beautiful film. You will not be bored during it. There's always a rat attack or a, huh, it's been 200 years since an apocalypse. And this looks still relatively fine. Yeah, kind of 80s, maybe, a little bit. I, you, you, this is a great call. I love this movie. It is absurd it is batshit nuts and absurd as hell um bruno mattei was kind of like the dollar store version of, of <laughs> lucio fulci yeah, absolutely he's a total hack i don't think he you know rats night of terror is the closest thing to an original movie he made almost everything else he made was a ripoff and it was artless as fuck but oh my god how absurd and beautiful his movies are hell of the living dead yes is one of the great it's one of those movies that when I first got it on DVD, I loved this movie. I saw it in the Parkland Theater when I was fucking 16 years old with a packed house, screaming crazily. 
as this absurd stock footage scrawls and, <laughs> and you've got like, you've got like gut footage. munching and then shots of wallabies hopping along a field you know um but this particular movie has one of the great nihilistic twist endings yes. that you and it's delivered in that dollar store aesthetic that is so cheesy but so sublime at the same time yeah. i love this movie uh ravenous Yes, dude. Yes, but the one from last year, or the uh, Antonio Bird. Yeah, yeah. With uh, Robert Carlyle, it was actually one of the first movies I watched on Hundred Days of Horror, like the original Hundred Days of Horror, the very first one. And so it, <laughs> fuck you, Cody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's 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 great. It's oh, great, yeah. and it's it's for me, it's one that's get genuinely underappreciated. Uh, and one of the few, there's a a. I find a woeful lack of horror films that take place in the Old West. Yeah. Uh, during, uh, this is Civil War era. Uh, and it's something that I actually have a couple on my full list of, of that take place in that time because I'm kind of fascinated by horror that takes place in the Old West. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's just, it's so interesting and it's got great actors in it. And I, I really don't understand why it is not better known. So I only wanted to like the comedy with it, you know. Yeah, it's it, it really funny. This, it's dark. It has this really dark sense of humor, and, and maybe that's it. That when it came out, people were not ready for that. Kind it wasn't of, advertised as a, as a funny movie, right? And so they weren't sure if they should actually laugh or not. But I, I, I really enjoy this movie, and if you've not seen it, I think you will not be disappointed. That's a phenomenal call. I love that movie. Tony. It's like so. You know, and speaking of horror westerns, one of the movies that's on my list is a 2007 movie called The Burrower. Yes, that was yes, on my list too. Dude, yes. Yes. High five on that. Um, this is a movie uh, written and directed by a gentleman named J.T. Perry, and it is basically a really great survival western yeah. that happens to have a horror angle. In it. I don't I watched that when I was like 13 on the sci-fi channel. Fuck you, Cody. But, but be that as it may, um, I think it is just one of the great things about it is it is it is a very solidly constructed survival western that happens happens to have a horror element in it. It's very taut. It's very unpretentious. It is super well directed. Um, it is acted faultlessly by a very good cast that includes Clancy Brown. Who, yes. I, who should be fucking canonized as far as I'm concerned. And also, ironically enough, it has a really good performance by Tom Cruise's cousin, Whoa, what? a gentleman named William Mapather, who plays William Parker in the movie. Really? That is Tom Cruise's cousin. Um, but it's just really good. It just does everything right that you want it to do. And I'm also a big fan of cross-genre movies that do a really good job of establishing one genre and then just hurtling another genre into the bouillabaisse. Um, this is one that is just a good, tight Western until the weirdness, the horror weirdness begins. One minor quibble, um, be ready to suspend your disbelief because the monsters are kind of not so convincing. It's like the absolute weak point of the movie is that the monsters don't look nearly as convincing or menacing as they should. That said, they're mostly in the shadows, and yeah, Petty is a really good director. He captures what you want in a Western, and he also captures kind of the suspense and the atmosphere that you want in a horror movie. That's a good one. So thank you for that Western horror tangent. I love Western horror, and it's 
it is for whatever reason is not something you see anywhere near the degree the degree of almost I feel like any other time period. Correct. Also in that genre though, uh, I use my own hands. Uh, check out uh, Bone Tomahawk Bone and uh, Dead Yes, uh, yes. But uh, yeah, which both are fantastic films. Uh, we have nine minutes left. Should we move into maybe like a lightning round type thing? I, I mean, guess. <laughs> yeah. We can, we can do a little bit extra if we want to. All right, we're going to midnight. <laughs> no. I'm staying up till 11. Bob's going to take the brunt of it when we're on set tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's it, man. That's why he's like, no, let's get this down. No, I don't want him to go full bitch on me. <laughs> he's seen oh, it. Oh, come on. I'm just imagining you, like, just me in the cross. <laughs> 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 um, I'm going to go to uh, a movie that is. Does the the shot factory, but it's essentially forgotten, which is a wild, weird ass movie. Is I Madman, oh, uh, yeah. from the director of The Gate, which is also almost forgotten. Mm -hmm. movie. Uh, it's about a, a woman played Jenny Wright from um, from Near Dark, who is obsessed with a particular author, and she looks for his first film, the uh, first book, and it starts to come to life around him, around her, same way of like In the Mouth of Madness, but more slasher style. Mm -hmm. It's this great noir look to it. That just you know, then as she's Reading the book, you start to see it, and we get some really cool, different, like, really artificial looking, but in a really cool way, uh, as if you're, as you're picturing a book. You get this actual darkness, you get this cool stuff, and uh, then you get a stop-motion monster that comes in. <laughs> it's weird, and it goes, it, uh, eventually I plan on writing about it for a series I've been wanting to do of, like, you should see this. Um, it's my second entry after I had finished with Even Wind, maybe for that. But, oh, but, uh, Demon Wind. but uh, Joe Bob Briggs talked about some writing. Yeah, it's it was gonna I was mentioning it, but Joe Bob Briggs talked about it. The Demon Wind yeah. cover, at least. Yeah. And we've talked about it. Deserves to be on the list of that. Anyway. Uh, but I Madman, check that out. Uh, I'll check out the Gate and Gate Two because the guy made those two and he's weeks weird ass movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, go ahead. Another weird movie I watched with my mom. <laughs> Burial ground. Yeah. No! That's, on, that's on my list too. Yeah. I actually had it as we were talking, but it's on the list. Peter Bark. Peter motherfucking Bark. <laughs> it is a zombie siege film. Yeah. With evil um they're they're Templar Knight looking motherfuckers, but they're not Templar Knights. Um it is one of the weirdest fucking movies for the presence of one Peter Bark. A child, man, person. He's playing a twelve-year-old. Playing twelve-year-old, and like he's like 30? a thirty-something-year-old, yeah. yeah, like, wrinkled yeah. dwarf. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes, "No, Papa." And then uh, at one point, he tries to fuck his mom. <laughs> like you do. Like you do. Oh, I mean, and then and it, it's so it's Oedipus Rex meets Italian gut much zombie. Movie. And then he turns into an incel afterwards. He gets all mad and then he storms mm -hmm. away. Books of blood, books of blood, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the mob say blah, blah, blah. 
Okay, I'm up. Uh, so I'm going to throw out another shout-out to Paul Nashi. This is a movie from 1972 called Horror Rises from the Tomb. Yes. Uh, it is a wonderfully schizophrenic. Schizophrenic. <laughs> Too much rosé. It's a wonderfully schizophrenic blend of cheesy pulp horror and grand Italian gothic horror um, that is at times shot with just as much verve and artistry as a Dario Argento movie. And then the very next scene will be the most cheesy goddamn excuse for a payoff shock scene that you would see this side of a Bruno Mattei film. Um, it's got this wonderfully schizophrenic rhythm to it. Um, there are some really arresting visuals to it. Uh, I have watched this movie more times than I have seen Lawrence of Arabia and um, The Graduate put together. And I love it. Mr. Nancy, you're trying to seduce me? Jumping <laughs> <laughs> uh, on to, to Cody's burial ground, I mentioned uh, the Blind Dead series. Yes. Yes. Uh, with amazing, I love the design of Blind Dead. It's uh, yeah, got a bunch of Templar Knights and everything of that. But the Templar Knights who can't see, so they're going, so they're hunting by. They've been blinded. Yeah. Yes. So really blind dead. No. Uh, in the Spanish, a Spanish Portuguese film. Uh, there's four of them in the series. Uh, the the first ones I think the best. The other ones are a little uneven, but they still work. I actually like the second one. The second one's really good too. Yeah. Then there's Night of the Seagulls, and there's a pirate ship one. The Ghost Galleon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I used um, to have the box set, I but I lost it. Yeah, um, oh, Blue Underground, I actually, of course, being the big-ass dork that I am, I own the coffin-shaped yeah, Blue That's Underground DVD on, yeah. set, which also has a very nice documentary on the uh, about the director, Amado Diasorio. These movies are, they're, they're like, aside from the first and second one, they're deeply flawed, <laughs> but they are also, uh, Diasorio created characters that should be as iconic as any other horror characters in the horror pan the horror film pantheon. The the Knights Templar are desiccated zombie knights who were blinded because they were considered blasphemous and transgressive to the Christian religion. Uh, and so these characters, the, these things, they are implacable, they are slow moving, they <coughs> gallop in on horses. Uh, every blind dead movie has at least one point where the fog kicks in and the Templar Knights show up and all of a sudden, it's dark magic. The movies are deeply flawed. First two are the best. Third one, Ghost Galleon, is like, you're pretty much going to be napping between the appearances of the Templar Knights. But that, that's a great call. But yeah, love the, the design are so good. That actually, honestly, like, kind of makes me feel like nauseous looking at them. And that's how I like <laughs> And a lot of, lot of that, that era of yeah. European zombies do that to me. This is me. Yeah. Um, Cody. This is a person who is larger than life and went up against many things. But my personal favorite was El Santo <laughs> and the Vengeance of the Mummy. Ah. I got that shit in a FYE for a dollar. Nice. No, it was worth every penny. It's El Santo having a match, and then all of a sudden he's going into the middle of the jungle to look at a mummy, and he fights a Black Panther. Not the. the <laughs> Not the superhero. Not the superhero. Not an actual animal. Hey, a feline. He, he throws that shit back into the jungle, too. Like, he, he fucking wrecks it. And then he fights a mummy. And people get picked off by the mummy. And the mummy looks like 
he's a Templar Knight. So that's what made me think of it. Yeah. Dude, fair enough, fair enough. El Santo. My first semi-paid gig as a semi-professional writer was for a Mexican wrestling horror newsletter called Santo Street. They did not pay me in cash. They paid me in VHS tapes of crazy-ass Mexican genre movies, many of which were Santo films. The El Santo movies are like, they're like the, the treasure chest that is awaiting you in your grandpa's attic. If you're a, like a schlock movie fan, discovering all of the Mexican genre cinema of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s is like opening up a treasure chest in gran, grandpa's attic. And that's, a, that's, that's one of the real fun ones. Oh, it was, it was great. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to the 1943 Phantom of the Opera with Susan Foster yeah. and Claude Rains and uh, Nelson Eddy. It's a, a a little bit of a different take on it. Uh, also, it, it is an epic love story between <laughs> the two guys. The two guys. <laughs> which is, I think that's the part that I think I love the most about it. Uh, is that really the, it's not even subtext. Well, and the, it's, and, and yeah, the constable and the constable are for each other. Yeah, they, they they are all about each other. Yeah, when Alice and I watch it, it's oh, you're noticing it's talking about them. It's something it's still a reference. Com. It's essentially a rom com for them. It's just like yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, it's a it's a really solid uh, adaptation of Phantom of the Opera, and it's one that I think gets overlooked, yeah. particularly because the, I mean, again, the 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 uh, silent version is. Uh, and, and canon. Yeah. But this is a, it's a, it's a really great Well, it's, it's lush as hell. It yes, is beautifully it's produced. Gorgeous. Yeah, and, and plus it's got Claude Rains at the center of it, who's one of the great character actors well, it, with that, that the era. mustard gas it, voice. It also kind of, I mean, you have, uh, they kind of make it honestly less about Christine, but I'm fine with it. Yeah, and it's funny, like, his version, his, this is, she's his daughter in this version. They cut that line out, but it's still, yeah. his, it's still uh, there, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah. But, yeah, it's literally on my list that the 43 fandom gets overshadowed by the other versions. It That's really literally what I wrote down in my notes. Yeah. That does make me want to take an improvisational turn and recommend the 1962 Hammer yeah. version of the Phantom of the Opera, yes. yeah. which I which stars a South African actor named Herbert Long, yeah. who you may recognize also from, uh, he played Inspector Dreyfus in yeah. the Inspector Clouseau Pink Panther movies, um, and he also has a great supporting turn as a doctor in The Dead Zone. Yeah. Um, yeah, Herbert Long's one of those great character actors. He plays... The Phantom, the title character in the 1962 Hammer version of Phantom of the Opera. Um, this version, I really like. It is, uh, I think, like the 1943 version, is criminally underrated, but for different reasons. Right. I think, I think the lushness of the 1943 version overshadows it mm -hmm. to a great extent. Yeah. Um, with the 1962 Hammer version, it's basically an unpretentious backstage musical that has some mm -hmm. horror movie style thrills in it. Yes. Uh, and it's like a backstage drama that works really well. Um, it, it's also got, uh, there's some genuine pathos and actually some pretty grotesque makeup for yes. Robert Long's Phantom. Mm -hmm. And also it has one of the great villain turns by anybody in a Phantom movie and that is um, the wonderful character actor Michael Goff. Mm -hmm. um, who is probably Alfred. most familiar as Alfred the Butler from the Tim Burton. Who's all over the movies. Yeah, he was in a ton of them. Um, he is so 
brilliant in this movie. Um, I like Patrick Troughton as the rat catcher in that. Too. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, Michael Goff is pure hissable villainy in the movie, just like equal parts silken and terrifyingly like numbly cold. Uh, and it, it just, it, it clips along at a really nice pace, and it's not as lush as the 43 version, but it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, I'll second that. Uh, we are running on time, so we're maybe going to blast through a couple things pretty quickly. I do want to mention, um, talking about, like, design, in this case, uh, two films from the same director who has amazing production design that goes a long way for both films, they're both good on their own. Uh, is Delicatessen as he lost children, for mm-hmm. example, in there. Yes. Uh, both... Oh, the, state, the look of them isn't yeah. to sell the movie, let alone the actual wonderful content behind them. So check those both out. Cody? Joe D'Amato's Beyond the Pajamas. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the nastiest, grossest films you'll ever fucking see. Joe D'Amato is a nasty, nasty director. Oh, yeah. Well, hardcore porn, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. He was gutterless. Everything in between. Yes. Thanks, David. I own that shit on Blu-ray. Of course you do. Uh, Children. It's uh, a British uh, zombie, I guess, for lack of a better The eighties one where they did the radiation or something. No, no, no. This is uh, two thousand. Wait, it's right here. Two thousand eight. Uh, and it's uh, it takes place over Christmas, and it, basically the kids are the ones. Everyone under the age of eighteen uh, are the ones that become zombies, essentially. Uh, not like Romero zombies, but zombies, and like. I work with kids, and this movie terrifies me because this is what I imagine. This is basically this is this is how I'm gonna die. This is how I'm yeah. gonna die. <laughs> so there you go. You're welcome. That's how Kim's gonna die, and so watch this movie to see how she dies. Tony. Uh, one last shout out for a, again, I'm going to the 70s here, is a mid-70s horror movie called The Last House on Dead End Street. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, directed by a director named uh, Roger Watkins. Uh it came out on DVD in a deluxe kind of two-disc DVD set, like probably about 10 or 12 years ago that's long, long out of print. Uh, the most recent iteration of it, ironically enough, this is the only reason I bought it, folks, is as an extra on a porn film. <laughs> Directed by the same director under a pseudonym. The movie's called Imp- Corruption. That's the porn film. Um, and it's actually not a bad sort of Faustian thing with hardcore porn inserts, uh, but the but it significantly it contains, as a DVD extra, a, a print of Last House on Dead End Street, um, which is basically the extremely nihilistic and unsettling story of a, uh, a wastrel on the make who decides that he's going to make a snuff film and goes forward with it. Uh, it's very, uh, it's very graphic in places. It, some of the gore is not super convincing, but it also has, there's an aura of disturbing nihilism to it that is really super palpable. Um, this is a director who really latched onto a mood and sustains it in the movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, Roger Watkins was an interesting figure because he didn't do a lot of, quote, straight films. He ended up doing a lot of porn. He was not happy about that. He didn't get a chance to make a lot of non-porn films. Last House on Dead End Street is so unsettling that for years it was thought of as a genuine snuff film. Um, when Watkins directed it, he directed it under the pseudonym of Victor Janusz. 
which made people who saw it, you know, in gray market VHS tapes back in the day think that this was some sort of creepy, weird, you know, Eastern European directed, horribly shot in New York. It, it's, it's very unsettling, it's very disturbing, and it's really, uh, it's really an oppressive, but quite masterful, like, exploitation horror movie. And it's not super well known. And uh, I'm gonna jump over to uh, the Val Luton produced uh, Boris Karloff double feature, Isle of the Dead and Body Snatcher. Yes. Uh, people always talk about cat people and in the I Walk the Zombie, but the Boris Karloff one is actually my favorite produced by Luton. Uh, they're both on double features here and there. Uh, so check was the both computer type movies that are put together because of those those two connections. They're brilliant. Yeah, Absolutely. the Body Snatch is directed by Robert Wise, who directed it. Yeah. from West Side Story to the Day the Earth Stood Still, and it's one of Karloff's best performances. Yeah, that's a great call. I love that movie. I want to keep my nasty streak going. Anthropophagus, dude. One of the absolute nastiest cannibal films you'll ever fucking see. I'll show you the. I think I've seen photos from this. It's, it's, and we want to give a spoiler of the big gore payoff scene in the movie. Because this is the thing. I would actually... This is a whole other podcast, but I think this movie is like terrible. And it doesn't deliver on what it's supposed to deliver. Huh. I, think it's as, I think it's as dull as a fucking bucket of ditch water. And I think that it has... I think it shoots a an exotic Greek island with the sort of mundane... Workaday normalcy that you would get taking a VHS camcorder and taping a written 7-Eleven. It is like that shoddy. It's, it's, about video dead. It's shitty. Like First it. of all, video dead masterpiece. No. Fuck you, Bob. <laughs> um, <laughs> and but yeah, no. That, well, also at the end of Anthropophagus, nobody's gonna see this because it's on the fucking poster too. Oh it's hell yes. Him eating his own. Intestines. Intestines. Like you do. I mean, who hasn't that happened to? Listen, when you need a snack, you need a snack. I tell you, and a mouthful of viscera, that'll hit the spot sometimes, man. Uh, I would give a shout out to this is a much more recent one, but I watched Hungry Horror a couple years ago and really enjoyed it. It was Possession. Oh, yeah, yeah. great one. Play a bow bath for Yeah, it's a it's, bone bath entry, too. It's really fun, and it's basically what happens after you've experienced some kind of demonic possession. And the lead character is going to a, a possession anonymous support group, and it's it's just, it's it's fun. It's just a fun film. Uh, it's not perfect, but it is a good time, and it'll, you will not hate yourself for watching it. Uh, one more real quick. Uh, kind of on that general tack, uh, of Bone Bat. Thank you, Steve Hollitz, for Bone Bat. Um, one of my favorite features that I saw at Bone Bat was a movie called Patchwork. Yes. Um, yes. Which is basically yes. a wonderful female centric, I would dare say feminist, uh, horror movie. It's sort of like a cross between a Robert Altman relationship dramedy and reanimated. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Uh, it's the story of three women whose bodies end up being fused together, solving their own collective murders. Uh, it uh, it was one of those films that I saw where I was astonished at how well they juggled the tone perfectly. I mean, it's it's smart, it's well written, the acting is terrific. You feel like you're watching this wonderful, like female oriented, uh, kind of dramedy 
that just happens to have reanimator style, you know, reanimated corpse viscera elements to it. It's really, really good. Like it's like one of my favorite features that I've ever saw that I've ever seen rather at um, Bonefest. Uh, I'm gonna do my we'll do one last round. So for you, Rosanna, come around to me. Uh, I'm gonna mention uh, Richard Stanley's Dust Devil. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. In very sandy African countries, there's a a demon that takes form of like a hitchhiker essentially. Uh, who needs blood, and he kind of goes around and comes across a woman who attaches himself that he attaches himself to, and everything's going on as people trying to so trying to find her. People, uh, police are trying to solve the murders because he wakes up. It's like Jeepers Creepers. He wakes up every now and then, kills a bunch of people, and then kind of vanishes. Uh, it's so weird. Of course, weird is weird. We use a lot for a lot of fun that, but it's <laughs> it's weird. It's it's quiet, but has this great, like, almost folklore uh, nature to it. Um, just, and uh, the lead in it, Robert, whatever his name is, eventually uh, played Robocop Part 3. Right. Um, he's fantastic and it's really understated performance. Uh, it's definitely something to check out. We're just handling some really weird yeah, uh, stuff. Uh, so check that out. Last round. All right, last one. Why not just dip into the very bottom of the barrel? Necromantic and <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh my god! <laughs> deeper and deeper oh, and deeper. Oh, 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 oh. I cut deep, and this is a movie about taking corpses and fucking them. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Also has, God, it, in, it almost intentionally gives really bad subtitles. Uh, at one point, a woman fashions. A penis out of a pipe, and like says, once, once you've had pipes, you can't go. I mean, come on, who hasn't fashioned a penis out of a pipe? I'm just saying. I mean, that just seems like it happens a lot. It does. I mean, as, as again, there's no long vagina here. I feel like I can say that because <laughs> we all go around. Is uh, that why they're always doing repair work in your apartment here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From the same director, it's Elmer Dillon. Yeah, and it has one of the best uh, slasher character masks ever. Yeah. Basically, a giant owl head. Fuck oh, yeah. Which somehow is deeply unsettling. It really is because he has the body of statue. a man and the head of an owl. Um, but it's it's just it's ridiculous, and I'm a sucker for any movie that takes place in a theater. Mm. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I cannot help but love it. It's such a silly, ridiculous movie, but it's a really good time. Tony? Uh, another one that I wanted to mention is one of my favorite Carrie ripoffs from the early 80s, which stars one of my very, very favorite actors ever, and that is Clint Howard. Yes. And the movie is called Evil Speak. Yes. From 1981, any movie that combines uh, Carrie-style uh, you know, revenge, psychic action, with uh, both from Night Court as a, a satanic priest, with uh, horned warthogs mauling a woman in a tub, uh, to you know uh, beheadings by sword, it it it's it, it has literally everything that could make a fan of eighties grade Z horror happy, including a great 
put upon psychopathic nerd performance by Clint Howard. Love, love, love it. And my last one, I guess, my last one of this. Uh, I was wasn't sure what to do because there's a giant list. Uh, but uh, Tony kind of fixed that by mentioning demonic priest, uh, satanic priest. <laughs> so I'm gonna uh, the Dia de la Pista, also known as the Day of the Beast, from Alex Yes. Uh, which I'm not sure if it actually has an official release on DVD. I, my, mine is a um, not ripped no copy uh, that I got from the bootleggers at the Crypticon. Uh, and it's a, about a priest who, do, who does all the math and finds out the Antichrist is going to be born tonight. Uh, I think it's on New Year's Eve. And he does what he can to take that upon himself um, and save the world. Um, so he meets up with a black metal guy who he believes because he does black metal he should be able to you know find out who the antichrist is uh but other forces are trying to stop him it's darkly funny like it's hilariously awfully funny uh incredible i love the opening gore <laughs> it's great yeah um and it's it goes some really fucked up places of course being you know alex Iglesias, of course it does <laughs> um i love alex de la Iglesia as a director i think he's brilliant um the movie that he did that played at uh, what, Sif, the bar. Or? Uh, no, the Last Circus. I think is the oh, name of it. Yeah, I think that that is a beautiful dark fairy tale, gorgeously shot. Um, the movie that he did in I want to say it's twenty thirteen was Witching and yeah, Bitching. Um, I it's a little. I've had people kind of comment about it's not totally nuanced treatment of women, but yeah. it's also beautifully directed. And Which means we don't care if it has a less <laughs> treatment of women. Ah, yes. That's a conversation. It, it does, it does a lot of other things. That was really about a different uh, so. uh, <laughs> Look at you, couldn't care. Yeah. Uh, it's not an old film. This is why I'm making these yeah. sounds. Uh, I, I will. So yeah. we, we covered a lot of movies tonight. Uh, oh, we that was a lot over. Of thank you. Well, we did go 15 minutes over, so thank you, Kim, for letting us talk further. Uh, I did try and keep We're track of most of the time. Tomorrow, I'm going to cite this. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was going to be. No. No, I, I need that letter of recommendation. <laughs> yeah. Probably anyway. Like, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to bring stuff, but not. Um, but yeah, so we covered a, a decent amount of stuff. Uh, there's, of course, we, we all probably have a longer list than that. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, if you yeah. want to pick our brains to that, find us online, cd.com, or Facebook, or all on there. If you ask nicely, we'll post them to City of Geeks. Yes. yes. We'll do that, or come to Crypticon, because there's always panels about it. Or that. find us on Letterboxd. Yes. Everything on there. Uh, so, cdgeek.com. Uh, find everything we're working on. Uh, go to a Ghost Stories podcast as well and listen to Kim talk about ghosts with Gabby. Uh, follow us all on Twitter. We said their Twitter names earlier. It's all mine. Go to cdp.com and look up everything. Uh, all the information there. Me. I only have 14 followers. Dude, I'll on. follow you. I will follow. I think you've already followed me. So. Yeah. And, uh, of course, go to iTunes and subscribe to us there or SoundCloud or wherever the hell you want to say. I think we're on Spotify. We mean to check that. Pretty uh, place to shut ground top. Yeah. We always need more subscribers, right? And subscribe to our YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, comment, subscribe, share. Um, we're City of Geek. I'm Bob. Cody. And Tony. And we'll see you next time, hopefully with uh, Jennifer and Ryan to talk about Midsummer and folklore. The people at the library are getting really concerned about me. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs> Interventions with stage. Probably. <laughs>